0: Hi, this is Chris Franklin, co host and producer of JLU Cast and Supermates, and co host of Superman Movie Minute, Batman Nightcast, and the Power Records Podcast here on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I would like to share with you another episode of FW Presents Find Your Joy. One day in early 1984, when I was nine years old, I woke up to what I hoped would be a snow day. But alas, no, while there was snow on the ground, and more forecasted on the way, the Harrison County School Board had declared school was indeed in session, despite other nearby counties being called off. So emotionally deflated, I got ready for another long day at Eastside Elementary School. And my mom and I trudged through the snow into our 1978 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme, as we always did. Driving me to school, she bemoaned the road conditions on the way. She was certain school would be called off before lunch. Well, turns out she was right, as she usually was. Not an hour after it began, school was indeed canceled, and the buses were sent in. Since my mom was off from work that day, she came and picked me up herself, a rare treat. Fearing we might get snowed in for a bit, she stopped by the Thrift convenience store on the way home for bread and milk. You know, the essential, oh my god, it's snowing things. Now, Thrift was a store we stopped by on occasion, but wasn't one I traveled to by bike or walking much. Mostly because to get to it, you had to travel down a pretty dangerous highway with no sidewalk. While Mom went for the bread and milk, I made a beeline for the magazine rack. This was kind of a taboo area in a lot of ways. Because Thrift liked to stock their trashy biker mags covered in pictures of scantily clad women right next to their comics. Easy Rider and Betty and Veronica on one stand together. There on the racks I spied a comic that had somehow slipped by my notice at my usual comic supplier, Eastside Pharmacy. All-Star Squadron number 31 sported a gorgeous cover by Jerry Ordway with an orange gradient background. Looming large on the cover was the figure of Uncle Sam in a pose even I recognized at that age, mimicking the famous James Montgomery flag army recruitment poster from decades before. Sam announced, Uncle Sam wants you to save the world! Sam was so insistent when he said his name, his logo appeared. Below his huge symbolic figure launched an assortment of heroes flying or running forward, From pop culture icons Superman, Batman, and Robin to comic mainstays Hawkman, Green Arrow, and Plastic Man. There were also more obscure characters I recognized like Squadron Chairwoman Liberty Bell, Johnny Quick, Phantom Lady, the Crimson Avenger, and the Star Spangled Kid. Beyond obscure were two characters I kinda knew about, the Black Condor and the Ray, and one guy who looked like Clark Kent in a blue suit and fedora with a mask. A quick peek inside the book told me that this was a comic I had to get. All-Star Squadron was really hard to find in my area. My collection started with issue number one, but was very spotty, which was frustrating because I loved me some Earth 2, ever since first encountering it in the very last issue of All-Star Comics, issue number 74, when I was but three years old. The idea of a parallel world where the heroes were mostly familiar, but just different enough to be interesting was very appealing to me. It seemed like Earth 2 was the world where anything could happen, and it often did. Batman had died on Earth, too, after all. And another of my earliest comics was Adventure Comics number 463, where the Justice Society of America avenged his death. So see, Marv Wolfman, I got it. And I was a little kid, so. So I took the All-Star Squadron comic to my always-accommodating mother, and we made our way through the falling snow back home. Stripping away the layers of coats, scarves, hats, and gloves, I settled onto the couch to read the issue in earnest. The comic begins with Mystery Man Midnight that masked Clark Kent clone from the cover, racing through the streets evading Nazi soldiers while carrying a very important box under his arm. Roy Thomas sets about reconciling the existence of the Freedom Fighters on Earth-X with his team on Earth-2. But that wasn't what I was really interested in. What grabbed me was that this issue featured the first full meeting of the entire All-Star Squadron, which meant every Golden Age character DC had access to, more or less. JSA Chairman Hawkman and partner Hawkgirl encountered the Ray and the Black Condor on their way to the New York World's Fairgrounds, headquarters of the squadron. When they enter the Perisphere building, they find an assemblage of heroes that boggles the imagination, spread across a half-page double spread. Here we get the credits. Roy Thomas, writer and editor. Rick Holberg, new penciler in residence, taking over from cover artist Jerry Ordway. Mike Macklin, inker. Gene D'Angelo, colorist. Cody and Costanza, letterers. Before the meeting officially begins, some of the heroes, like Superman and Green Lantern, set up the meeting equipment above. The other heroes mingle to mixed results. Robin tells Speedy that Green Arrow is nothing but Batman with a bow and an arrow. He's not wrong. Sandy thinks to himself, Robin better not throw shade on Sandman like that, while Dan the Dynamite chastises the other teams for having no powers. Obviously there will be no Teen Titans on Earth too. The members of the JSA and the Seven Soldiers of Victory get along a bit better, but there is some conflict between two heroes, both using the same crime-fighting name, Manhunter. I didn't know it at the time, but one of the Manhunters, like many of these heroes new to me, were originally quality comics characters that DC had owned since buying the rights in the 1950s, but rarely, or in some cases never, had used them before. Starman and Phantom Lady greet one another as cousins, Ted and Sandra Knight, a new development that James Robinson will run with in my beloved Starman series of the 1990s. Squadron Chairwoman Liberty Bell makes a dramatic entrance in a modified costume, and after rebuffing her somewhat put-out part-time beau Johnny Quick, calls the meeting to order. Her roll call is displayed over two double-page spreads. Every hero answers in their own fashion, and my young self is introduced to a whole world of heroes I'd only dreamed of before.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, and you latter certainly outnumber the former, may I have your attention? For those of you who don't know me, I'm Liberty Bell, your duly elected chairwoman. As most of you know, President Roosevelt has personally asked that this all-star squadron be formed to safeguard things on the home front. His wish is for all of America's mystery men types to belong to one central organization, and I'm proud to see that most of you have responded by being here tonight. I'd guess we better start off with a roll call. The Sandman. Here. Sandy, the golden boy.
0: I'm here, but drop the golden boy stuff, okay?
1: Wildcat. Yo. Plastic man.
0: Here, there, and everywhere.
1: Airwave.
0: Present Liberty Bell.
1: The Jester.
0: Here, with bells
1: on. The Hawk Girl. Here. The Hawk Man.
0: Also here.
1: Robot Man. Present. The Specter.
0: I am here.
1: Starman. Here. Tarantula.
0: Here in spirit.
1: The Guardian.
0: Here. Period.
1: The Batman. Here. Robin, the boy what... Uh, just Robin, I guess.
0: Here. And thanks.
1: Superman. Here. Dr. Fate.
0: Here. As Kent Nelson, I'm happy to say.
1: Wonder Woman. Here. Dr. Midnight. Present johnny quick
0: here and raring to go
1: the green lantern here the atom
0: huh? oh uh, um here
1: you seem distracted by something adam phantom lady here now i understand johnny thunder understand what the human bomb can barely hear you through that headgear manhunter here The Vigilante.
0: Right here. Loaded for bear, ma'am.
1: The Green Arrow.
0: Here. Speedy, stop whispering. Speedy. uh, here. Wing. I have the honor to be present, miss.
1: The Crimson Avenger. Here. The Star-Spangled Kid.
0: Definitely here.
1: The Red Bee. Present. The Black Condor. Here. Dan the Dynamite.
0: Here and proud of it. TNT. Here. Don't show off, youngster. The Whip. At your service, Senorita.
1: Mr. America. Here. Sargon the Sorcerer. Present. Mr. Terrific.
0: Here and feeling great. Stripesy. Like the kids said, definitely on the scene. The Ray. Here to shed a little light on the subject.
1: One hopes. Firebrand. Here. The Flash. Here. Zatara the Magician.
0: Tenise Tenise Sirk, or perhaps I should say, say say. Present.
1: Present. Commander Steele.
0: Present and accounted for. Um,
1: the other Manhunter?
0: That one's already answered. The real Manhunter is right here.
1: Uh, right. That's the lot of us.
0: There's some funny responses, such as Adam being distracted sitting next to the scantily clad Phantom Lady and Johnny Thunder being oblivious to what is going on right next to him. Seven soldiers' sidekicks, Speedy and Wing, are whispering to one another, much to Green Arrow's ire. When the second Manhunter is addressed as the other Manhunter, he replies, That one's already answered. The real Manhunter's right here. Who were all these guys? Why didn't I know about most of them? Remember, this is a year before Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC Universe, debuted. I had met some of these heroes in All-Star and in a few other comics over the past six or seven years, but the vastness of DC's catalog had never been so real to me. I was a sucker for old reprints, being a huge fan of DC's Digest line, but aside from the Simon and Kirby Sandman reprints in the Adventure Comics Digest, few Golden Age material ever got reprinted there. This meant there were tons of comic stories and series I never knew existed. On the next page, Liberty Bell mentioned a few heroes who couldn't attend, such as The Shining Knight, previous star of this series playing bodyguard to Winston Churchill, the recently introduced Thomas Creation Amazing Man, who was on sabbatical in Detroit, the Blackhawks, who have their own island HQ, and most importantly for this network, Aquaman, who was difficult to reach at sea. Yes, Shag, there is an Earth 2 Aquaman, and it's confirmed right here. After the All-Stars receive a video message from FDR himself, Why isn't Rob covering this comic? Uncle Sam barges in to make the cover legit. Sam tells the team how he recently visited another world where the Axis powers were succeeding far greater than in this world. He put together a team of heroes from Earth-2 to help out, and I met even more characters beyond the roll call. The Red Torpedo, Magno the Magnetic Man, Miss America, Neon the Unknown, and the Invisible Hood. And one I did know from JLA-JSA crossovers, Our man. Sam informs the All-Stars that this JSA founder and the rest of the team is dead. He asks the heroes to help him save the other world, and a great debate ensues, with some believing they should save their world first, while others believe that Earth 2 can spare a few heroes to help out an alternate reality. Midnight bursts in, and we find that the box contains yet another unannounced hero, a comatose doll man, to be continued. The rest of this storyline is a good one, but it's always been secondary to me. Meeting a whole world, too if you want to get technical, of heroes who were real and had adventures 40 years ago made a huge impact on me. The instant history lesson would not be lost on me, and my love for comics history continues to this day, largely cultivated through All-Star Squadron and its letter column. And of course, I was learning real history, too, since Thomas weaved his stories around real events in World War II, It gave me a leg up on my classmates many times over the years, and I have to thank him for that. My reading and rereading of the comic was interrupted by the arrival of my friends the Shirley's, who wanted to go sledding. I was almost as obsessed with playing out in the snow as I was with comics, so of course I said yes. We only got a handful of good snow days in Kentucky every winter anyway, after all. I geared up and we hit the multiple hills in my neighborhood hard. Even though I lived in town, I was lucky enough to have several hilly wooded areas around me, like the playground across the street and a couple of lots behind my house that I was allowed to play in. Plus, we had a creek running through all of it, which gave us something to jump and fall in, of course. Ramps were made, forts were built, snowmen created and then destroyed. Snowball fights were had, and that creek got jumped multiple times. If you start at the basketball court at the playground, you could build enough speed to jump the creek, if you hit it at the right spot. If not, well, you were in it. I came in for some of my mom's homemade potato soup at lunch and my friends and I returned to the comic where I showed them all the cool new characters I had discovered. This caused us to start up a strange ritual that we often observed where we would pick which one of us would play that character if the opportunity ever arose. We did this whenever a new toy catalog for Masters of the Universe or G.I. Joe would come out and would continue to do so for Transformers, Superpowers, Mask, and any other toy line we were into. We even did it with comics like Who's Who. While outside, I grabbed some snow so Mom could make snow cream for dessert. If you don't know, snow cream is essentially homemade ice cream that uses snow, sugar, and vanilla. It's delicious, but just make sure you scrape off the top of a deep pile of snow. Don't dig to the dirt or grass. Yuck. After that, it was back outside until supper time. By then, my dad was home, and even though... I'm sure he was worn out from a long day at work and driving on snowy, nasty roads. I had to quiz him if he knew any of these characters from his comic reading days as a kid. I would already established he knew of the big guns like Superman, Batman, Robin, and Wonder Woman. But he also remembered the original Flash, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and Hawkman. None of these new guys rang a bell with him, unfortunately, but it was fun to share it with him anyway. Believe it or not, after supper, I went back out and played in the snow again until mom finally told me to break it off and come inside. I didn't really mind leaving behind our snowmen, snow fort, snowball fights, and sledding this time. I had this comic to come back to, and I continued to come back to it again and again, year after year, decade after decade. I was lucky enough to get both Jerry Ordway and Roy Thomas to sign it at Heroes Con in 2017. I would like to get Rick Holberg to sign it at some point as well. His art is really nice and solid, slightly retro and period appropriate, but very appealing. I now see that he swiped some poses from the DC Style Guide by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, but hey, Holberg came from animation and that's a common practice there. Plus, with that many characters to draw, who can blame him? All these years later, it remains one of my all-time favorite issues of any series. It was a great, eye-opening, world-building comic on a fantastic day to be a kid. A perfect snowstorm of events conspiring to make this low-key day one that would somehow live in my foggy memory. Leave it to my favorite characters, Batman and Robin, to summarize my feelings about the comic and the day. This is an historic day, Robin. One you'll remember all your life. I remember it already. So many heroes... Wow! Thanks to Ryan Daly for starting the FW Presents Find Your Joy series. For more Find Your Joy episodes, please visit the FW Presents or main Fire & Water podcast feeds. For scans of All-Star Squadron number 31, check out our website at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and here's hoping for a fun snow day soon. Snowfall